State political science students present In the Shadow of the Kremlin, a podcast covering state building, foreign policy, political economy, and civil society in the wake of the USSR. Okay, welcome back. This is Rihanna Thomas again with my friend Noah Coker. So, Noah, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to talk about the Belt and Road Initiative going on over there in China Woo. and branching out all the way to Europe. Cool. So, the Belt and Road Initiative, that sounds interesting. Do you want to explain a little bit about what it is? Of course. So, basically, this is a new project carried out by China to create a new Silk Road. So it's like the renewal of the ancient Silk Road from China that brought goods like spices, metals, ivory, glass, and silk from China across the continent into Europe. And that was about 4,000 miles long. That is absolutely 100% correct. And it's weird. I remember it being so prominent whenever I learn about it in school. I wonder why it ever died off. From what I know, it was a mix of the Crusades and attacks from the Mongols. And we could totally get into that in another episode, but Absolutely. I think that would that would that would take a while. So I think we'll talk about the current project now. But tell me more exactly about what's going on here. So in 2013, the Chinese president of China, Xi Jinping, announced the plan to create a Silk Road economic belt in a maritime silk road or for short because that's a very long name we could call it the belt and road initiative so the silk belt will go through the land and the silk road will go through the sea that sounds about right Rina. <laughs> it, that's, well it's just interesting because i would have dubbed the sea route as the belt so that the land route could be called the road anyway that's getting off topic so President Z announced this project. So, the story of this project began in a small town in Pakistan known as Gwadar. The port of Gwadar started off as an ancient fishing village. Then, the USA actually sent a serving team out there to identify that Gwadar would be an ideal place to create a deep sea port. Ironically, the Americans did not seize on this opportunity. The Chinese did. It's important to note that the Chinese really aren't interested in Gwadar for economic reasons. China really just wants to build better political ties with Pakistan as it serves as a stepping base for Afghanistan and the rest of Central Asia. This is really massive. Wow. Huge. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I'm looking at a map here, and it looks like the land route is going to start in China, I mean, obviously, and travel up to touch Kazakhstan, and then through Uzbekistan, and a little through Afghanistan, through Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, goodness, hitting all the stops, then through Romania and Ukraine, then up to touch Moscow, and then through Belarus, Poland, France, and ending in Italy. 
If you're listening to this, you should for sure go look up a picture. Just go look on Google, type in Belt and Road Initiative, so you can get a visual of how far and wide this thing is traveling. And then I have to say, if you look at the plan for the sea route, it's kind of here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it hits mostly Southern Asia and some of the islands under there, and then the very coast of Africa. And it also ends in Italy to turn to the belt. But it's like, it's very loopy and curvy. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly expensive, which we'll talk about later. But tell me, Rihanna. Yes. Why <laughs> is China doing this in the first place? Why would you want to build a whole new Silk Road if it didn't work out the last time it was going for them? <laughs> well, last time it ended because of other external factors, but this is like probably one of the biggest questions. So I think it's probably common knowledge that China would like to be more powerful. And in recent years, the U.S. and China haven't been exactly best friends. I mean, our countries are heavily dependent upon each other. But because of a lack of positive social relations with each other, trade between the two countries is slowing. And so China is looking for a way to cope with that. I mean, the trade, I mean, that makes sense because if you think about it, people are like, buy more American-grown stuff. Like, stop buying Chinese-made mm -hmm. things. Um, anyway, so um, to cope with that, China is becoming non-reliant on the U.S., and is instead looking to the rest of the feasible world. And so by establishing this new Silk Road, China is letting itself be known as head of the global stage. Um, so everyone will begin to know, like once this is made, if, if it succeeds, mm -hmm. everyone will begin to know China as the new powerhouse of the world because its economic development will now touch more of the world than any, any country ever has. And, I mean, well, so it'll touch basically the entire world except for the Americas and Australia. Mm -hmm. And I also want to point out, China is specifically planning to build these routes, routes in places that the U.S. military can't get to and hinder from happening. That's kind of scary, Rihanna. That's really not <laughs> great for us. But I guess it was really smart on their part. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's okay. Now... It's important to note that the port of Guadar is only one piece of China's plan to develop this maritime and land route. On land, there are projects stretching from Germany to actually the country of Laos. It's a pretty big area. On the sea, there are projects stretching from Venice all the way down to Jakarta, which is in Indonesia. This whole project is actually going to include railways and energy pipelines and highways and 50 different special economic zones. So I think that also that China knows that by building this, it's going to produce a lot more jobs for its own citizens, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So... Okay, my question for you is that what does Russia think about all of this? We've got to talk about we've, this podcast is called In the Shadow of the Kremlin. So, of course, we've got to touch about the Kremlin. So oh, absolutely. Is Russia happy about this? Like, are they on board or are they a little scared? I'm leaning towards thinking that 
they're probably a bit nervous because Russia also would like to be the most powerful country on earth. But, you know, <laughs> I could be wrong. So, Russia is somewhat favorable to this idea. Right now, Russia kind of waits and is sitting in the shadows while the Americans withdraw from Afghanistan. Once this happens, there will be work on increasing security ties within the region, especially with Afghanistan. Russia has already strengthened the ties with Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. However, minor Asian countries can only afford so much as China pushes their massive projects on these countries. However, it's important to recognize that while Russia is an important part of the puzzle, they could easily slip through the cracks in the importance to these countries as China can fund these projects much more easily than Russia can. If these projects are successful, Russia loses out a lot of political influence to China in a region where Russia has had a traditional stronghold presence. Okay, so now for the hinging factor here. Can this even work? Is it feasible? What are the obstacles that China's facing? So I think what you're asking is, is to talk about the roadblocks they're mm. facing. One of the biggest roadblocks, if not the biggest roadblock, is the monetary yeah. word, cost of this thing. <laughs> I mean, some have estimated that it will come out of costing to about $1.3 trillion <laughs> dollars a ton. just by 2027. And about $4.7 trillion in U.S. terms by 2014. Holy, holy, yeah, holy guacamole. Okay, so this money is coming from a variety of sources, right? So mostly Chinese banks. And now does this mean that the Chinese, now this does mean that the Chinese government will have to pay these banks back. But the plan is that the money that will come from the economic explosion from building this road will make that easy to repay in future. Anyway, these funds are coming from the China Development Bank, the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, just Bank of China, the China Exim Bank, the China Construction Bank, the Silk Road Fund, the New Development Bank. I'm sure you care so much about this. Anyway, so there are a lot of funds being drawn from many locations in China. But um, in, anyway, so what way is China struggling with the finances of this project? And also, are they receiving money from other countries and support from other countries? And what does that look like? So right now, the United States and China are in a bidding war in terms of allocating foreign aid to minor countries in Central Asia. As a rule of thumb, if a country donates a lot of money to another country, country receiving it is more likely to be influenced by the country donating, in case you really didn't know. The USA is getting wildly outspent by China in this, as China has spent over $3.6 trillion in foreign reserves and foreign aid in countries involving this massive project. However, China has to get past these countries' inability to have an effective government that has the ability to force these projects that China is funding in a timely manner. 
China could spend hundreds of billions of dollars to get these projects done, but what China can't do is enforce these projects to be completed in a reasonable time frame. Goodness. And another issue is that because there is a struggle to get enough money and the cost just keeps rising, there have been some serious delays. Oh, like yeah. for example, in Indonesia, Kazakhstan and Bangladesh, there is a problem of construction of the rail lines being delayed, partly because you have to pay the workers working on the rail lines mm -hmm. and there's just not enough money right now. It must be, yeah, expensive to pay all those people. And then, so there's another obstacle that you might notice if you look at the path of the route for the land belt. It goes through some pretty desolate desert terrain, which means that China is going to have to bring supplies out to these lands. And the man labor is going to be extremely difficult and hot <laughs> in the desert sun. And they plan to bring this through the Himalayas. Like, so build these um, rail lines and um, power lines, gas lines through the Himalayas. So if they pull this off, it's going to be a massive feat. It, it honestly doesn't even seem quite real. I mean, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Although you telling me that, it kind of calms me down a little bit because this is, like we've said, a very scary project. <laughs> um, well, and then the final obstacle that I want to touch on is the support of the other countries. So um, there have been, and you talked about this a little bit before, um, but there have been a few countries that wanted to keep China from doing this from the get-go. So earlier you talked about the countries that are supporting China. Right. Um, but now I want to talk about the countries that are not supporting China. Um, so India, for example, hasn't supported China from the beginning and is in fact warning other countries of the power that this will give China. And as expected, the U.S. is not supporting the Chinese government here. I mean, we kind of already touched on that yeah, our relationship okay. isn't good. Um, and in fact, Japan and the U.S. have been paying China's neighbors to help them get developed in order to kind of like counteract the power that China will hold if they succeed. And um, um, and then, however, what about the countries that you talked about earlier that were initially supporting China? I know that. Several countries in Europe are still excited about this project because it's going to bring down the price of bringing goods and resources to Europe. So some countries like Italy and Portugal have signed agreements to keep helping China. Um, but is it true or is it possible that China is now losing support? Like other countries are seeing that this may not be feasible or they don't really actually want China to have this power. So to keep things short, at first, a lot of these countries were on board. This sounds like a pretty cool idea. However, they can't economically match China's ability to fund projects like these. If these ambitious projects were to fail due to a lack of funding, China could face diplomatic and political repercussions. At this point, China's gone a little too far, and they can't afford to screw this up both economically and politically. So, overall, well, I just want to get your personal thoughts on this. Do you think this is positive or negative thing? Something 
I think is interesting is that China is implementing this project to ultimately grow its economy, but at the same time, one of the biggest obstacles here is just that the production of this project could destroy the Chinese economy. So really the way I'm saying it is that there are two sharp outcomes here. One, China succeeds and I mean, I don't necessarily want to say rule the rules the world, but China will probably be the biggest force on this earth or two, they fail and any country's fear of China's monetary power over them will wither away. Their economy will crash and honestly, who knows what this world will look like without China's presence in the world economy. All those trinkets and cheap clothes that we buy from China likely won't exist anymore. I don't know. Noah, what do you think about all this? So if I were Chinese, I'd be pretty excited about this project. There's so much economic opportunity and so much to gain politically if they're able to pull off the Belt and Road Initiative. While there are calculated risks, I think there are some, there is a decent shot they complete this. Something interesting to note about China is sometimes uh, their country actually tends to overbuild. Fun fact, the largest mall in the world is located in China, but what if I told you beyond its food court, it actually remains 99% vacant in terms of leasable store space. Why do I bring this up? While it may not be relevant, it does show how China can be overambitious, and I think much like the mall, China can shoot for the stars, but that doesn't mean they're going to get there. Now, as an American, I'm pretty scared about this. If China pulls this project off, the United States will no longer be a global superpower it once was. If China pulls this project off and exerts its political influence on these countries, this could lead to a power struggle that could cause potentially civil wars and potentially shifting these countries into a communist authoritarian regimes that are puppets of Beijing. I know these are bold takes. And I'm aware that the project won't come into fruition for a while, but it's important not to sleep on the pol the major political boost Beijing will get if they pull this off. Now, finally, if I were Russia, I'd have some difficult decisions to make in the future. I think that Russia right now is being caught in between a battle for global supremacy. I think right now, while the West has maybe the upper hand since the Cold War ended, it may not be for much longer as China gains and exerts its political influence across the world. I think Russia will have to eventually probably pick a side. Russia has built its foreign policy in recent memory as a threat to the West. However, if they were to side with China, they risk getting put on the sidelines, and I think probably the Russians have too much pride for that. Whatever side they choose to take, I think it will tip the balance of world power. Also, I thought I would also include a fun and at least interesting example to leave you guys something to think about. So, China funded a major highway project in Tajikistan. When this was built, they used about 80% of the funds from the Chinese to put toll booths on it. The toll company was known as Innovative Road Solutions, which was based out of the British Virgin Islands. What was interesting about this company is that they had zero corporate history and no record of bidding on highway projects. So local authorities did some investigating and found that the president's son of Tajikistan was funneling the money from this company straight into his bank account. Obviously, he denied it, 
but I'll leave that up to you to decide if he was guilty. This has been In the Shadow of the Kremlin, a podcast by K-State Poli-Sci students. We'd like to thank both our hosts and any guests for this segment, as well as our listeners. We'll see you for the next installment.